Well, brothers and sisters, we are finally here. Uh, I once again greet you in the name of our Lord and Savior. Welcome you on this Lord's Day Sabbath as we together embark upon an exposition of the Apocalypse of John. The word revelation is translated from the Greek word apocalypsis or apocalypsi. You don't need to know how to spell those, which is why this book is often referred to as the Apocalypse of John. If you look up the word apocalypse or if you simply just think about your own understanding of what you think apocalypse means, it's usually a very negative definition. When you think of the word apocalypse, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Doom and gloom, I'm sure. Matter of fact, if you look up the word uh, apocalypse in the English translation versions, it means destruction. Even further, it means complete and final destruction. But that is not what the Greek word apocalypse means. Rather, the word apocalypse or apocalypse means to uncover. It means to lay bare, to disclose, or here's the one that we're familiar with, to reveal. Now, that is the basic understanding of the word, to reveal. It's important because when we think about revelation, our minds, let me also say, it's revelation, not revelations. Let's correct that in our, our language. Uh, when we think about revelation, our minds often run to mystery and destruction. Uh, when actu- in actuality, it's meant to reveal and to encourage. The letter of revelation is meant not to uh, scare, we'll say this in a moment, but to encourage. The Lord Jesus Christ gave this revelation to John through his spirit. Now, this is the same Apostle John, the one whom Jesus loved. The same Apostle John who wrote the Gospel of John. The same Apostle John who wrote the three epistles of John. He has been given this letter, this revelation by the Holy Spirit. Uh, Before we journey together through this vision, through this revelation... I do think it's important, and we'll have at least two or three introductory sermons before we actually get into the meat of the sermons, or into the book, or into the letter, sorry. But I think it's important for us to to set a foundational framework out of which we will see and hopefully understand this letter. First, let me begin by telling you why we are even here in the first place. Of all of the books, of all the letters, of all of the prophecies even, poetry and historical narratives that are available for us in God's holy inspired word, why revelation? Uh, Sister Ophelia said to me earlier this morning, uh, many preachers won't and don't even desire to touch the letter of revelation. So why are we walking through this letter? For many, revelation provokes great fear within Many have been raised to see Revelation as a detailed description 
of a horrific end for the entire world. Others have stayed away from Revelation altogether because they believed that it is simply incomprehensible, that it cannot be understood. John Calvin, the great exegete, declined to preach Revelation for this very reason. He believed that it was incomprehensible. Martin Luther, on the other hand, argued for Revelation and its complete removal from the canon of Scripture. One won't touch it, the other one wants to do away with it altogether. So, what are we doing here this morning? A little bit of a background of myself. I've always been intrigued by the letter of Revelation. When I first began to read through the Bible, I was excited to to read through it all so that I could eventually get to Revelation. It was kind of like the, the prize at the end of my reading through the Bible. I understood, or at least I thought I understood, that it was the most mysterious book letter of all of the 66 books letters in the Bible. I was excited and also a little nervous each time I read through Revelation. You know what I mean, don't you? Beast with many eyes, dragons, kids are going to have fun through this letter, dragons, uh, Christ on a white horse, the Antichrist, a great war, uh, gathering around the Lamb, repetition of numbers like 7 and 77 and the number 144,000 and so on, were all so intriguing to, to my younger self. While I have read through Revelation on a handful of occasions, I've got to be honest with you, and I think you would probably be honest with me as well. I have almost always, with the exception of the first three chapters of of the Revelation, I've almost always walked away from the apocalypse a little confused. I knew that there was ultimate victory, but the details about all of that leading to the end were always kind of unclear to me. I've been ministering now for 20 years. I have never, until now, felt equipped. And maybe that's why Ophelia, they stay away from Revelation, never felt equipped until now to expound the letter of Revelation. So why now? Have I all of a sudden gained some new profound knowledge? Not necessarily. Uh, We are in this letter because, as you know, before our 16-part series, short series, Encouragements While We Wait, we together We sojourned through the book of Genesis for three and one half years. We saw the beginning. The book of Genesis details for us the power of God in calling all things that are into being. We were given an infallible glimpse of and into the creative power of God who created all things in the span of six days and who rested on the seventh day. We learn that God created man from the dust of the ground, and from man, God created woman. Man and woman lived in perfect fellowship and communion with God, with one another, until they were deceived, until they reached out for that which for, was forbidden by God. Paul, com- commenting on the effects of man's sin in Romans 5.12, says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all mankind because all have sinned. We know this, Adam, 
the federal head, the covenant head of all mankind, cast all of humanity, all of his posterity, to use a technical word, into a state of depravity or corruption, and also cast us under a, a state of judgment before God. God's good creation was corrupted. Man, made in the image of God, man, the apex of God's creation, was polluted by sin, corrupted by sin. The world that God created for the purpose of having His image bearers worship Him and having perfect communion with Him was polluted and corrupted by sin. We saw this in Genesis. A man was unable to restore that which he lost in the garden temple of God. No matter what work he worked, no matter what offering man offered, he could not reverse the effects of the fall. Man was also unwilling. Not only was he unable, man was unwilling to restore right fellowship with God because of his corruption. He had no desire to worship God rightly. But praise be to God, all was not lost. Amidst the darkness of the fall, God provided a light of hope. You've heard the historic phrase, post-Tenebrox Luke's, after darkness, light. It is one of the most powerful sayings of the Reformation, and it is, I think, the motif of the Scriptures. The motif of the Scriptures, if you like, is this. Redemption to the glory of God. For it was in the midst of darkness that the Lord God provided for fallen creation and for fallen people like you and I a ray of hope. You know the passage well. God speaking to the serpent, that ancient dragon of old in Genesis 3.15. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. God, if you will, God planted the seed of the gospel there in the garden at the fall. The planting of the evangelium, the first gospel began there in the garden when God promised that a seed would come and that he would destroy the works of the evil one, that he would restore all that had been lost by man in his rebellion against God. The good news is that through the woman, the woman who was deceived by Satan, God would bring forth one who would withstand the the deception of the evil one and restore image bearers, image bearers of God to their rightful place in fellowship with God. Key would be the new and better Adam. He would be the the head of a new and better covenant. He would be our federal head, our covenant head. And he would be the the covenant head for a people that he had foreknown and foreloved before the foundation of the world. The good news of the Savior would be revealed through subsequent revelation. And that that is, as the first gospel was pronounced by further steps, God would reveal more and more about this redemption and the Redeemer who would come to save His people. Until finally the seed was revealed in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. The restoration of the image of God will be accomplished through God. Made in our image. 
through God in our likeness. He was not only made in our likeness, but Hebrews tells us that he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the power of his word. And Christ in his incarnation, in his perfect obedience to the law of God, in his sacrificial sufferings, in his resurrection, in his ascension, in his being glorified, in his now being seated at the right hand of the majesty on high, listen to this word, has inaugurated, very important, has inaugurated his kingdom. His kingdom is now. And redeemed all those whom the Father has given him from the curse of sin. The curse of sin is death. Christ has taken death in our place. He has uh, taken our curse upon his shoulders. He has loosened the binds of sin and death and set us free by faith alone in him alone. Those who have placed their faith in the perfect and finished work of Christ are free. And if the Son sets you free, then you are free indeed. Paul commenting on the work of Christ in contrast to the work of Adam, Romans 5.19. For as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. Christ has triumphed over sin and death. And death could not hold Christ. Christ has removed the curse of sin and the sting of death. By his perfect and finished work. Christ is now reigning. Christ is right now ruling on the majesty on high. He has sat down. His work and the covenant of redemption has been accomplished. And the spirit of God is still at work. He is still bringing many sons to glory. But his covenantal work is done. He has promised now that he will return. He has inaugurated his kingdom. So why are we here in Revelation? Because Revelation shows us the consummation of his kingdom. We have considered in the book of Genesis the inauguration of the kingdom. The first gospel and now here in Revelation, we are going to consider the consummation, the completion of the kingdom of Christ. We are given in this apocalypse of John a picture of. Of Christ triumphant. And his kingdom consummated and established forever. Uh, we are here because we have seen the beginning. We have encouraged you that while you wait, here is how we must live. As we wait for the consummation. And now I think it is fitting. Since we have considered the beginning. Uh, we've encouraged each other while we wait. It's fitting for us to consider the end. And the end is really the end in one sense and the beginning in another. An eternal beginning. Where all the inhabitants of God gather around the throne to worship our King. We are now coming to the apocalypse of John. Because we've seen the beginning. And now let us see the end. And let me say to you and to those who are listening on the phone. It's not a dreadful end. It's, it's a glorious and victorious ending. Uh, there will be a time when we will celebrate, and we should start now, without end. 
Revelation is called to encourage us so that we can rejoice in the fact that Christ is triumphant and that our end, the end of it all, if you will, is really a glorious beginning. That's why we're here. Revelation is not intended to bring about confusion, but clarity. Revelation is called revelation after all. It's meant to reveal. It's meant to bring clarity. It's it's not meant to conceal. It's meant to reveal. The revelation of John is not meant to create fear, but hope. It's not meant to keep you awake at night in fear. Rather, it's meant to give you rest at night, knowing that it is well with your soul. Revelation is given to strengthen, not scare, to fortify, not frighten. I pray that that would be encouraging just right off the bat. It's not going to be as scary as we all thought. Hopefully that's not disappointing to any of you. Those of you who like your horror stories and horror flicks, you scary people, you. As we prepare to march forward in this letter, there is something very important that I think that it is uh, that that is necessary for all of us to confront and confess before we take one step forward. And it is this. That we all carry with us. I'm going to use a lot of words in the revelation that maybe you've never heard before. I hope to uh, do my best to to define them. And if I don't, please speak to me afterwards. You said this word. What does that mean? Or you can find out for yourself by Google. But I, I would do my best to help. Here's what we all need to confront and confess. As we are opening the letter of Revelation, we are doing so with presuppositions. As we open the letter, every single one of us, you and I, are opening the letter with presuppositions. Presupposition means something that we assume to be true. All of us, none of us are blank, none of us are a blank slate. None of us are opening Revelation and saying, "I know nothing. Teach me. I'm a I'm a I'm a I'm a blank canvas." None of us do. All of us are coming to Revelation with presuppositions. I'm positive that many of you have read through Revelation. I'm certain that all of us, at one point or another, have at least read portions of Revelation, especially the first three chapters. But how many of us can attest that we have had an in-depth study of Revelation on our own. And yet, even though many of us can confess these things, we come into this letter with our minds already made up about certain things. A presupposition. How many of us can say that we've opened the letter and not used national or international newspapers as our assistant as we study the letter, but that we've opened the letter and used reputable biblical resources as our support to better understand this prophecy. I think if we're honest, we have not gathered, here's our presupposition, we've not gathered our understanding of this prophecy from serious academic studies. But if we're honest, our understanding of Revelation has come from books like Left Behind. Like movies, from movies like The Da Vinci Code. Or for some of us, 
who are real conspiracy theorists, we are intrigued by things like the Illuminati and think that they have something to do with the end. I think our revelation, our, our study, our understanding of revelation has been more developed by what we've heard rather than what we've actually studied for ourselves. And that, my friends, is not the proper way to develop what you stand on as being true or not true. Many of us have a, a, a presupposition, and I'm going to use this word, uh, hopefully to define it well, have a presupposition of what is called a futurist. Write that word down, futurist. Futurist approach. Meaning this. Everything that is revealed in this letter of Revelation is set to take place sometime in the future. Listen to what I just said. Everything, excuse me, in this letter is intended for the future. That is called the futurist approach. The futurist believes that everything in Revelation is mainly about the future. Many of us are futurists and we don't even know it. Wait a minute, that's what I am, right? Coming in here. Here are some assumptions that we have as we enter this uh, letter. Here's some of them. You tell me if, if, if it matches you, then you're a futurist and you didn't know it. And the first step to uh, healing is confessing that, you're, that you have a problem. Uh, we, as futurists, believe that there will be a secret rapture sometime and at any time in the future where believers will be taken at any moment. We take this uh, from Christ when he says, speaking about the suddenness of his return in Matthew 24, 40, he says, two will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with each other at the meal. One will be taken and the other left. And so we take this idea that there will be a rapture, secret rapture. Some will be here and some will be left behind. And for those who are left behind, here's what the futurist believes, there will be a great tribulation. That there will be trouble in the world. There will be chaos that many will wake up and wonder what happened. Where did all of these millions of people go? So are you already saying, yep, that's me, that's me, yeah, okay. And then, in the midst of this tribulation, there will arise one who will bring peace and order. And people will believe in him. Because he will seem to bring stability to the world. But those who are left, who somehow believed in Christ, but didn't actually weren't actually believers. They'll recognize this person. He's the Antichrist. They will start to put their faith in Christ, believing all the things that were ever said, but that they didn't actually believe. And they will be persecuted for their faith. They will run and hide to the mountains. All people will be, will be forced to take what is called the mark of the beast. Uh-oh. Side note, the mark of the beast is not the coronavirus uh, vaccine. The mark of the beast is spiritual. It's not physical. We'll get into that when we get there. This time of difficulty for the futurists, they believe is called the tribulation and it will last a total of seven years until Christ appears. And when he does, he will come ready for a great battle. 
And the battle will take place in a field. You guys know what the field is called, don't you? How do you know what the field is called? The, the field of Megiddo. In, it will be the Armageddon. It will be where Christ will destroy the devil and put him in chains for a thousand years. And that Christians will live on earth in peace until the devil is released one last time. And then finally destroyed in the lake of fire. Not only do many of us have... Well, let's just stop for a second. It may not be exactly like that. But for many of you, you're saying, yep, yep, yep. That's what I believe. That's what I've been taught. That's what I've heard. I saw that in Left Behind. Kirk Cameron was the, the, the star of that show. On and on and on. You could go to people in the culture who are not Christians and ask them, tell me about the end. What, what will the end days be like according to Christians? And they will give you a version of what I just said. Because we've been encultured, indoctrinated by this futurist belief that has really come from Books like Hal Lindsey's The Late Great Planet Earth, for you older folks. The Left Behind series, which was a phenomenon. It really was. It made it to the movie theaters. And all the Christians went to go see it. It is a false view of what Revelation is trying to communicate to his to God is trying to communicate to his people. Many of us have this view, and we have not spent any serious time studying through the letter ourselves. That's wrong. And let me tell you, and that view is wrong. Many of us have this view that Russia and China are going to rise to power. America will be overthrown. There will be Apache helicopters. And someone from Italy will rise as the Antichrist. That's left behind. If we have that view, and we have not spent even a considerable amount of time in the Old Testament, which is vital for understanding Revelation then that's a presupposition that we need to say, I have it, I confess it. Okay, let me put it to the side and leave it behind. Where do we get these ideas from? We got them from unlearned men. We got them from movies. We need to leave these things behind if we're going to move forward. Revelation is about, here it is, it's about the past, it's about the present, and it is about the future. Revelation is about the past, the present and the future. Well, what about that Matthew 24 verse? One left, one going. One theologian commented on this passage saying, this is not describing a pre-tribulational rapture, but rather Jesus is saying that the separation of the wicked and the righteous will be immediate. It is as if we look up from our labor on one seemingly ordinary day and then in an instant, in the twinkling of an eye, find ourselves at the consummation of all things. R.C. Sproul. We confess that we come to this letter with presuppositions. We need to do that. And we need to make a concerted effort, commitment, to acknowledge our presuppositions and acknowledge our traditions. Leave them at the door. They're not allowed to travel with us. We're getting ready to go on a journey. Those can't come. Leave them behind. We all have traditions. Acknowledge them. We all have things that we assume without actually doing the work ourselves to know. Confess it. It's okay. Now, if those things that we have assumed are accurate as we're studying, then keep them. But if they're wrong, then you've got to leave them behind. Is this letter about the future? 
Yes. But it's also about the past. It's also about the present. And there are yet events that will take place in the future. What event is yet to take place in the future that we are waiting for? Well, we've just got done with a series, right? 16-part series. The return of Christ. Uh, The resurrection from the dead. the, The final judgment. The new heavens and the new earth. They are yet in the future. But those future events are described periodically in Revelation. Not always in Revelation. That's important. The return of Christ, uh, the resurrection, it's a periodic description, not a constant description. They do not dominate the letter. Again, Revelation is about the past, the present, and the future. What is described in in chapters 4 through 22 are the events that have been experienced by the people of God from the time that letter was revealed up into this day. You hear that? When we're, we're talking about, well, what about the things that we see in chapters 4 through 22? We know the first three chapters are written in seven churches. What about everything after that? Everything after that has been experienced by the people of God from the time that letter was revealed to this time today. Tribulation has been experienced by, by God's people from the time that Christ said, I will return to this day that we are waiting for his return. What about Antichrist? Antichrist have risen from the time that Christ said, I will return to this day that we are in today. And there will be more until Christ returns. We'll get into all of those things. The futurist says the vast majority of revelation is about the things that are yet in our future. When in actuality, revelation contains those things that are from our past, from our perspective, future from our perspective and future from present and future from our perspective. Someone may say, well, but isn't Revelation about the last days? Let me be abundantly clear from the scriptures. From the time that Christ rose from the dead and promised to return, we have been in the last days. From the time that Christ rose from the dead and said, behold, I will return. We have been in the last days. From the moment of the resurrection for 2,000 years, this has been the last days. Consider with me. Let's go there. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. Hebrews chapter 1, and verse 1. Hebrews 1, 1 says, God, after he spoke long ago to the prophets to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways. Listen to what the scriptures say. In these last days. Has spoken to us in his son. Whom he appointed heir of all things. Through whom he has also. Through whom he. Through whom also he has made the world. Are these the last days? Yes. Were they the last days when the writer to the Hebrews wrote the, the epistle to the Hebrews? Yes. It has been the last days since Christ said, I will return. In the times before Christ, God spoke to the prophets. But the writer of the Hebrews says, these are the last days and Christ has spoken to us in them. Paul said to Timothy, listen to this one. Timothy in chapter er, 2 Timothy 3 and 1. Paul says, now says to Timothy, how many years ago was that? A long time. He says to Timothy, but realize this. 
in these last days, difficult times will come. Now, Paul's speaking to Timothy about 2,000 years ago. And he says, think about this. Paul's, if this is only the last days, then when Paul says to Timothy, in the last days, there will be men who are lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful and unholy. But Timothy, that's 2,000 years from now. Just want to give you a heads up. Does that make any sense at all? Would that apply to Timothy at all? Timothy would say, well, good thing I'm not going to be there. 2,000 years from now? Okay. Paul would not need to warn Timothy about something that he himself would never experience. And that even the hearers of Timothy would never experience. On and on and on until us here today. Paul wrote to Timothy this letter because he was living in the last days in that day. And those days were marked by trouble. If Revelation was intended just for us here today, then when this letter was written and distributed to the churches, it would have it would have had little to no value for them at all. Because it wasn't applicable to them. It wasn't about them. Instead, this letter is about the church for all the ages that the Lord tarries. And it's encouragement for her, for us. If only the first three chapters would have been applicable, then the chapters 4 through 22 that were only meant for people 2,000 years later, sorry Anthony, would be of no encouragement to those who were receiving that letter initially. Revelation 1.1, you can turn there actually. Revelation 1.1, the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his bondservants what? The things which must soon take place these things must soon take place in verse 3 the bible says the time is near and this does not just apply to chapters 1 through 3 we find this same reference at the end of the book look at chapter 22 and verse 6 these words are faithful and true and are the faith are faithful and true, and the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show his bondservants the things which must soon take place. The nearness of the things described in Revelation, their bookends. It's soon in the beginning, and it's soon in the end. In the end, when Christ says, I'm returning, in the beginning, when Christ says these things will soon take place, their bookends. Meaning all that we are experiencing is all that Christ has promised and it's taking place. The events found in the beginning and the events found in the end. In, from the perspective of God, they're all soon. From our perspective, they're long and they're drawn out. From God's perspective, they're soon. We are living in the last days. It has been the last days. Uh, not only because there is just a few days left, but because... The first coming of Christ marked the beginning of the period. Well, the last days, let me, let me read it the way I said it. Not only because there are a few days, but these are the last days because Christ's first coming marked the beginning of the end of human history as we know it. Christ's first coming marks the end of our history as we know it. 
these are the last days. Um, how long will this period of days be? Does anybody want to take a, a guess as to when Christ is coming? The day, the hour? Anyone have any audacity to do so? No. Good. Because Christ says no one knows. No one knows the day. No one knows the hour. Therefore, we are not coming into this letter. And there will not be a long kind of timeline behind me that I'm going to be developing. That's going to show you when Christ will return. The false teachers like John Hagee and Perry Stone, they are foolish. They are foolish to make timelines that only provoke fear. That only keep people watching Israel as if whatever happens with Israel will determine what happens with the rest of the world. Not so. Who is Israel? We are Israel. Who is Israel? The church is Israel. The church is Israel. What happens to us will determine when Christ comes. What is that happening? When all of those whom God has called from the beginning, before the beginning of the world, are brought in, then the end will come. Christ has not returned because all the sons and daughters have not yet been brought in. Which should encourage us to make the gospel known. We should be more fervent in evangelism that all the sheep could come into the fold. No one knows the hour. No one knows the day. But what we do know is this. The next event on the timeline of redemption, if you will, is the return of Christ. What are we waiting for? For Christ to return. We're not waiting for some kind of war to happen in Israel. We're not waiting for some kind of leader to rise up somewhere. We're waiting for Christ to return. And that is simply it. I will make an argument through this letter that when Christ returns, it will be the consummation of all things. It will be, as I've said before, the end in one sense and the beginning in another. Revelation is about the last days. It's meant to strengthen. It's meant to encourage as we wait for the coming of Christ and the consummation of all things. There have been difficult times or tribulations from the resurrection of Christ until today. And should Christ tarry and delay his coming, there will be more difficult days ahead. What did the Lord say? In John sixteen thirty three? In this world you will have tribulation. But what's the conclusion? But take heart. I have overcome the world. That's a good summary of Revelation. It really is a good summary. Trouble may come, but Christ has won the victory. That might answer at least one of your questions as we prepare to journey through this book. What will our approach be as we go through this book? Well, I've already shown my cards in one sense, haven't I? We will not be taking the left behind approach. You can rest easy then. And you don't have to bring your left behind books to church as your kind of guide as we're going through. Burn them. If you have the movie, uh, use it for baseball practice. We, uh, let me say also, what is attached to the futurist approach is this, a premillennial, pre-tribulational point of view. We will not take that perspective. So I'm showing my cards in that sense. You'll learn more about what a premillennial, pre-tribulational uh, 
point of view is we've already talked a little bit about what a pre-tribulational period is. That is, that we will go through, uh, there, there will be a rapture, a tribulation, Christ will return. We're not taking that view. It's important for you to know that at the outset. So that as we're teaching, as I'm teaching, you, we will be on the same page. You won't be thinking I'm going this way when I'm actually going the other way. A person asked me, uh, who's not here, they're not, they weren't a member, uh, but they asked me, as they learned that we were getting ready to stu- study through Revelation, will you be taking a preterist view, a partial preterist view, a pre-meal view, an all-meal view, a post-meal view? He, really, this was all asked in one question. Will you be taking a futurist view or an idealist view, a pre-trib, post-trib view? And my response to him was simple. Let's get to the end of the book. Or letter. Once we get to the end of the letter, then you can make your conclusions. Once we've studied through this letter, and I don't have a timeline. You know me. I'm going to take as long as, as we need to to study through this. Once we get to the end of it, then you can start putting on your labels of what you are. But don't do that before you've even stepped into verse 1. Let's get to the end of this. I don't mean to double and triple down on this, but I asked the person, have you spent any considerable amount of time studying through the book of letter of Revelation? The answer was no. Then why are you automatically going to sew these, these badges to yourself if you've never even spent time in the letter? One of the resources, and I sent the men a, a kind of a, a picture of the resources that I'm using for this uh, studies, for these studies. One of them is a theologian by the name of Moses Stewart. He was a professor and theologian who was asked by his students in the 19th century to teach through the letter of Revelation. He obliged and he began to study. What he found was that the letter was filled with more signs, more symbols, and more Old Testament references than he had, than he had expected. He refused to teach through the letter of Revelation. He refused to take any positions, any labels concerning his eschatology. Eschatology means end times. He refused to take any of these positions until he studied to the end of the letter. Dear saints, he spent the next 10 years of his life studying Revelation. And then after 10 years, then he began to teach it. I offer that account as a way of challenging you and I. How many of us have devoted that much time to the study of anything, let alone one book in the Bible? If not, let us be very cautious when we too quickly adopt certain labels for ourselves and positions. We will approach this letter with the help and dependence. How, we, how will we approach this letter? With the help and dependence of the Holy Spirit just as we have been doing each Lord's Day after Lord's Day. We will seek to teach this letter and this book as we always do, depending on God the Holy Spirit to give us ears that we might hear, minds that we might understand, eyes that we might see, and hearts that we might believe. There will be some sermons that will be more sermonic, that it will seem more like my normal sermons. They will flow like a normal sermon. There will be others that will be uh, kind of lecture-oriented. Today is kind of almost lecture-oriented. Then there will be others that will be more polemical, which will be more argumentative. Revelation is a challenging letter to teach. 
It's also a challenging letter to understand. In this letter, we are given constant, in other words, symbolism. And here's another one. We're also given constant recapitulation. Recapitulation means this, telling again, over and over again. What we'll see in Revelation is the telling of one thing, and then the telling of that same thing all over again in a different way, and then the telling of that same thing all over again in a different way. We'll see a repetition, if you will, of the same thing over and over again. What makes this book even more challenging is the fact that we, again, we have to confront all the things that we thought were true about this letter. Scriptures are clear, but we have limitations. And because of our limitations, it makes the scriptures difficult. There's nothing wrong with the scriptures. There's only something wrong with us. When we come to the scriptures, there's no problem with the holy scriptures. There's only problems with us. And we need to address and confess those things. If we have presuppositions, again, allow them, I challenge you, allow them to be challenged. By what? Not just by, by, by your respect for me. Allow them to be challenged by the clear teaching of the scriptures. If the scriptures are clear, then we must abandon what we believed before and adopt what God has clearly said in his word. What does this require? requires humility. All of us are going to have to be humble. Some of us are going to have to say, I was wrong. If any of you walk out of here and at the end of it, you go, I was right all along. We need to talk. Uh, (laughs) But let's understand this. As we prepared to go into this letter, blessings are applied to those who read this book and put it into practice. Revelation 1-3, blessed is he who reads And those who hear the words of this prophecy and heed the things which are written in it for the time is near. This is not a crystal ball. It's the word of God. It's meant to be a blessing to the people of God. It's meant for the people of God to read, to hear and to obey. And I pray that this would be our attitude as we study this together. In conclusion, the message of Revelation, it is simple. It communicates that Christ has won the victory. Not that Christ will win the victory. That Christ has won the victory. That he sits upon his throne now, today. God is sovereign over all of the events of human history. Though it may seem at times as if the events in human history are out of control. God is perfectly in control. He sits upon a throne. Satan has been bound. And the church will advance and not be defeated. The church will experience difficulty in these days, but she will prevail. Though the world looks a certain way as we view the church with our natural eye. Remember this. Things are not always as they appear. Visions in this letter reveal and make plain how things really are. The enemy will finally be destroyed. And we must never abandon Christ in favor of the harlot, the beast, or the false prophet. We must not pursue the religion of this world. We must remember that the ancient serpent has been defeated and he will be bound and he will be destroyed forever. Therefore, believe on Christ. Remain faithful to him. For he is faithful and true. And remain faithful to him even if you are threatened by death.
We must endure and persevere. Walk with Christ to the end. Forsake the world, the flesh, and the devil. For Christ, again, has won the victory. He was slain for you and me. And for all those who trust in him, you will never be put to shame. He is a lion of the tribe of Judah. He is returning soon to bring recompense for all his peoples. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they might have the right to the tree of life and so that they may enter the city gates of heaven. Dear saints, that is the message of Revelation. That's the message that at the end of this, I hope that you will be able to say amen to. Because you're already at the beginning saying amen to it. It's for the church. The church in every age. For all of us to hear and to be encouraged. Because Christ will return. And he has given us this vision so that we might hold fast to him. And not lose hope. Let us pray.